And, uh, but I'm just going to be sharing my heart. I really want us to think a lot about certain things, especially what I like about Rod and Eileen. We've had a lot of good discussions because we see that a lot of the, the, the messages that we were taught in the church, it doesn't work in some countries, right? And I was in the Philippines for four years, and we went to some of the, the worst of the worst places, the poorest of the poorest, where the, the gospel that I was taught growing up just doesn't seem to work there. And there's something wrong with that. And so my background is the whole style of asking questions because I struggled a lot. Where the things that I opposed for many years that I would call heresy and people false teachers, I'm embracing it now. How weird is that? And so I've had to humble myself <laughs> and realize that I've been wrong on many things where I was so dogmatic, right? But just starting to acknowledge that we're on this journey of knowing God just like everybody else in this world, whether you call yourself a Christian or not. And there are some things that I can say today that might raise some of your guys' eyebrows, <laughs> or maybe one of your eyebrows, <laughs> you know? And many times I've had people just hear something that's kind of shocking, even in the Grace community, folks. I'm going to be very honest with you. We've shared some of this stuff to Grace communities, and it's still hard for them to swallow. But what I want to do is that I'm not here to just jump on a bandwagon and let's go with all these Grace people. I'm here for truth, and I'm here to try to share my perspective of being a missionary to the Philippines and my wife growing up in an Islamic country her whole life, and to assume that just because they don't belong to our particular evangelical or charismatic community and to assume that they don't know God, that's a big statement to make, right? It's like we, it's so easy to condemn the person who's from a different religion until they become your best friend. Now you're going to have to start rethinking now. So I'm not saying that everything is relative or whatever you believe is true. That's not my point. But just like a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Hindu can have false beliefs, so can you and I as Christians. And 30,000 denominations among Christians can say a lot about how we don't agree with each other. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> so please keep an open mind. So let me ask you guys a simple question, okay, that I think it might hit home for some of us. How many of you have experienced rejection in the past before? <laughs> I think everybody. <laughs> now let me ask you this. How did it feel? Does it feel good? In fact, it hurts really bad for some of us. And some of us, we've experienced rejection from people like maybe our parents or even our friends or even at church. Right, because even within church, you try to fit in. You know what I'm saying? And some of us possibly probably even feel like God has rejected you as well because of your present circumstance. Maybe you're struggling physically, health-wise. Maybe you're struggling financially. Maybe you're struggling relationally with people. And then you're wondering, God, are you really, are you really there? So why does it hurt us so much to the point that it's, even, it's, it's like a scar? Like if I just bring up that whole idea of you guys being rejected by your dad, some of you guys, it still hurts. Why? Why does it do that? And maybe it's because we weren't made for rejection. But we were made for acceptance. We were meant to belong. 
Now, this is very interesting, folks, because just doing a lot of speaking and ministry, whatever you want to call it, it's so easy to just tell people you need to believe in Jesus Christ, and then you'll be saved, and then you'll go to heaven, and now he's inside of you. <laughs> so interesting to me now when I say that, right? But I want you to think about this, folks. If we were to take this gospel where it's a conditional gospel where you have to acknowledge and confess and believe and do all of these steps to get to God, how do you do that in a mental asylum to people who are kind of crazy, wow. right? In our perspective, right? We're, we look crazy to people too, right? <laughs> or how do you take that gospel, the conditional gospel where you have to believe in order to be accepted and become a child of God or to be saved? How do you take that gospel to a bunch of mentally retarded people? How do you take that kind of gospel to people that they just got in a car accident or a motorcycle accident and they're in the hospital, now they're in a coma? Thanks, Andre. Thank you. <laughs> it's not going to work. So in other words, those people who are not Christian but they got in a car accident and they're in a coma, they will not be accepted or belong to God unless they believe according to the gospel that many of us have been taught. Now imagine you go up to one of these street kids and you say, you know what? You're an orphan. You have no mom and you have no dad. Nobody wants you. I don't even want you. How do you think that's going to make the child feel? Good or bad? <laughs> Pretty bad, right? Is that love? No. Because the Bible says so? Because you learned it from reading the Bible or you just knew it? Intuitively, right? Now imagine you go up to another kid, a street kid, and then you ask him, or you tell them and say, you know what? I love you as long as you love me back. I accept you as long as you accept me. If you reject me, I'm going to reject you. But not only that, I'm going to be very angry with you the rest of your life. In other words, you don't belong to me or anybody else until you do something. How do you think that's going to make the child feel? Good or bad? Probably not very good. Is that love? because you read it in the Bible, or you just know it intuitively, deep down in your heart, right? In other words, that love becomes, un it becomes conditional, which by definition, that's no longer love anymore. Now here's the problem. Why do so many Christians describe God that way? <laughs> right? God says this, I love you so much, but if you don't love me back, <laughs> you're going to be burning for all eternity, for not hundreds, not thousands, not billions or trillions, for eternity. I won't accept you until you accept me into your heart first, and then I'll accept you. But not just your Lord, not just your Savior, you have to, be, have to be also be your Lord, right? If you reject me or you reject my son, I'm not only going to reject you, but I'm going to be angry with you and send my wrath against you forever in eternal conscious torment, right? In other words, you have to do something in order to belong to God, in order to be accepted by God. And so a lot of people will say, well, what about the whole acknowledging and confessing and repenting and believing? Because that's in the Bible, so I'm not negating those things. But here's where the huge shift came for me, folks is acknowledging and confessing and repenting and believing requirements in order to be accepted and included by God? Or is acknowledging, confessing, and repenting and believing simply responses of already knowing that because of His unconditional love, 
you're already accepted, and you already belong to Him. Now, it's so easy for me. Well, Josh, I've, and I've heard people say this, folks. I'm not making this up. I would share these examples about orphans and such and such, and people will say, well, Josh, yeah, that makes sense to us, but maybe God's love is different. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. You guys know that verse in the Old Testament, right? I want you to think about that, folks. If we understand love like this, how to, how to love a child, how to love your spouse, how to love your friends, but God's love is so different that you just can't understand it, right? Here's my follow-up question. How would you even know what love is then? Because the Bible says that God is love and that we will love others the way He loved us. But if God's love is conditional, where you have to do something in order to belong, then you're going to spend your entire life trying to earn His acceptance and His approval of you. Do you see that, folks? And so if your gospel is solely dependent upon you believing in order to be accepted by God, you will have no security whatsoever. Because you will keep screwing up at times. Your faith, you'll be very full of faith at some times, but at some days you're going to doubt. You're going to have struggles here and there. Because that's what happens in this life, right? But the good news is you already accept it. You already accept it. Imagine I go up to a drug addict on the street and straight up I'm just like, hey, you know, you want God to come into your life? Well, before he comes in, you have to do such and such and such and such and such. All these steps. And then you belong to God. What kind of good news is that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What kind of good news is that? Folks, whatever you believe about love, you believe about God. Whatever you believe about love, you believe about God. And whatever you believe about God, you will ultimately live that out in your life. And if you believe that God is a conditional God, then we shouldn't be loving people unconditionally. And Jesus' words mean nothing whatsoever when He says, love your enemies. It's making sense, folks? Yeah? So let me tell you the truth. That right now, at this very moment, in spite of what you've done in the past, before you do anything, you are accepted by God now. Oh my gosh, I don't cry when I preach. You see my videos, this is what happened.
I did not expect that, man. <laughs> I've never cried in my life, guys. <laughs> I'm a man. <laughs> I'm going to work out later and shave my beard. <laughs> and watch Rambo. I don't ever remember this happening before. There's a lot of love here. <laughs> I don't remember the last time I cried. Oh, God. <laughs> I'll just cry their whole sermon. <laughs> no, you're like, I came here for this. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the beauty of it, you know, that when you can actually feel and not just preach, You know, I love my dad. Before I came here, my dad would call me on the phone, just asking me how I'm doing. And I'm just telling him I'm preparing for my speaking. And he would just tell me, I believe in you. <laughs> my dad doesn't usually talk like that. <laughs> and I see my heavenly father and my dad he's changed so much he's changed so much <laughs> you belong to God you belong to Him. Not because of what you've done. Not just because Jesus died, but because of who He is. That you're already accepted into His embrace now. Just some of us, we don't realize it at times. Sorry, I just have to gather my thoughts. Folks, you're not alone. God's not running towards you. He's already there. Yeah. <laughs> He's already there. Come on. 
Oh lord. I don't want to watch this video. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not crying, sweetheart. <laughs> Oh man, God's good. God's good. You guys have your Bibles. If you don't, it's all good. If you could open it up to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to read something for us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. And it says this, For He chose us in Him. When? Before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and with His will. Folks, the beauty of the gospel is that even before you and I were born, even before the creation of this world, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit decided that you and me would be included in their life. If God didn't create any of us, would there still be love? Yes. But how? Because we need to someone to love, someone to receive the love, someone to reciprocate the love. So even before we were born, there was this love between the Father, Son, and the Spirit, where there was this intimacy, where they share absolutely everything together. And they decided that you and me would be included in that circle of life and love, even before you did anything. Even before you loved Him and chased after Him. That's good news. That you and the person beside you and every single person in this room and all over the world belong to God, whether they realize it or not. Now, what I've noticed in the West, and I'm sure we've all have, is that we tend to make Adam very big and Jesus very small. Let me ask you something, folks. When was the last time you asked Adam into your heart as your personal condemner? <laughs> Did you have to do that? No? But isn't it interesting that we preach a gospel now where Jesus dies on the cross and it affects nobody unless you believe just right? Ooh, ah, oh, there it is. Huh? You see that, folks? <laughs> there it is. That if we believe in that story of Adam's work when he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and it affected all of humanity, no choice on your part, but it affects the whole world. But yet God, who's very intelligent, very smart, he sends his one and only son to die for the whole world, and yet only a few are affected by it? Yeah, only a on. few make it? Right? I want us to think about that, folks. And so what I want to do today, what Andre and I and everybody here, 
here, Pacific, where's that, Into the Pacific, that band, you guys are dope, dude, good stuff, man, my wife's like, let's get their album, that's what she was saying to her, bless you guys, man, we need more music like that. What we're trying to do is that we want to make Jesus, we don't want to make him bigger, he's already big, <laughs> but we want to see him bigger. And in my journey of having to learn and unlearn and learn and let go of all my beliefs, God's love's never changed, but my eyes have been opened more and more of His love that's always been the same. Always been the same. Right? Oh my gosh. Folks, you're going to notice in Romans chapter 5, there's going to be a comparison between the first Adam and the last Adam which is very interesting, right? And this is what has opened up a lot of people's eyes because you're going to see a comparison between the two where you're going to see all, all, many, many, but in Jesus Christ was much more. So you're going to see this all, all in Adam, all die, and all have condemnation, right? But in Christ is the abundance of grace and righteousness. So when you look at that, folks, it's all, all, many, many, but in Christ was much more then we should have a bigger picture of the gospel, folks, a bigger view, a higher view of the work of Christ that has affected the whole world. Jesus Christ is not the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the Christians. He was not the Lamb of God to take away the sins of those who repent and believe just right. He was a Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. That's the good news, whether they believe it or not. <laughs> so in Adam, humanity was affected. But in Christ, who in Christ, in the incarnation, was this joining together, this coming together of humanity and divinity becoming one. And if he's called the last Adam, he represents everybody. Everybody. So whatever happened to Christ happened to us. So if Christ represents all of humanity and because he died, what happened to all of humanity, whether they believe it or not? We died with him. Because we are in Christ and he is the last Adam, representing all of humanity. When he resurrected from the dead, what happened to all of humanity? All resurrected from the dead. And if all of humanity is in Christ and he ascends to the right hand of the Father, what happened to all of humanity? All of humanity is already at the right hand of the Father. That's called the finished work of Jesus Christ, whether you believe it or not whether you believe it or not. That's the good news, folks. So am I saying that everybody is born again? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> That's good news. <laughs> well, if you heard my sermons, I won't pull punches sometimes, right? Why would I say that, folks? That's weird, Josh. I remember several years ago, I went to a revival and I asked Christ into my heart. I became born again and I was feeling such and such. Folks, I'm not denying that experience. Look, look at me now. Did I just get born again a couple minutes ago when I was crying? <laughs> no. No, folks. We are born again because when he died, we died. When he resurrected, we resurrected. When he ascended, we ascended, folks. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says that God in his mercy caused us to be born again when we believe? God in his great mercy caused us to be born again through the resurrection. 
We are in Christ, folks. We were in Christ. We are in Christ. Huh. So when Jesus was say, or when, when Nicodemus was there saying, what must I do to be born again and yada, yada, yada. We have to keep in mind, folks, that, that was especially that was before he died on the cross. Right? Christ didn't finish the work yet. So when you look at this whole born-again thing, when you had those experiences, when you feel God, or when you said, Jesus, come into my heart, then you felt love all of a sudden. You, that was not a born-again experience, folks, but that was a very real experience. You were born again 2,000 years ago with all of humanity in Christ. Is this making sense? <laughs> folks, that is very good news for the whole world, but I don't need to try to convert everybody. Why would you even try? You're going to get tired. Or you're going to try to go from person to person down the street, try to get them a sinner's prayer. Boom, now they're born again. Now they're going to heaven. Well, folks, if you really believe that you have to do that or else you're going to go to hell for all eternity, you better go outside right now and forget what I'm saying. There's better things to do and reach people. Folks, Christ did the job for us. <laughs> he converted everybody. Does God give us a choice? Because I've been accused of this, and maybe some of us have been accused of, if everybody's already been redeemed and born again, then where's the choice come in? In other words, and people have used this, they said we're preaching a gospel like God's raping people. He's violating their free will, because if you don't want them, then why would God force you to become born again? Right, you guys following along? If we want to use that kind of logic, folks, where we're going to say, well, what I just shared was like a divine rape, try telling that to your mom. Did you ask her for permission to give you life? <laughs> right? Did she say, hey, I'm going to violate your free will, son, daughter, whatever? She just gave you life. And that's what God did. And folks, without our permission, we should be very thankful for that. Now, the, here's the interesting part is, now the choice is this, now that you've been redeemed and included, the issue now is whether or not you're willing to participate and to know God now. Do you see that, folks? Because I've been taught the gospel that's a potential gospel. It's an invitation. Would you like to come to know Christ and accept him into your heart? It's kind of like when you're, I don't know if you've heard this illustration before, it's like you're drowning in the ocean of your sin. So God, because he loves you, he's going to throw a lifesaver. But that lifesaver represents his son, Christ. But because he loves you, he's not going to pull you out. You have a choice. Because he doesn't want to violate your free will, because love doesn't violate your free will. So you have a choice to grab onto that lifesaver. So those who grab onto it, you're saved. But those who are not, you're going to drown and die. You guys following along? That's the gospel that I was taught. Folks, how silly does that sound? <laughs> if you see your child drowning in the ocean, would you just throw them a lifesaver? <laughs> you would jump in and save them. Folks, that's the good news that when you were lost in your sin, when you were blind and in that darkness of lies, God jumped in, he saved you. Now the issue now is whether or not you want to participate and recognize the one who saved you. You see that? Folks, the Bible says that you've been reconciled, not when you believed, not when you repented, 
Not when you got anointings or whatever, right? It says that you were reconciled when you were still sinners, powerless, and enemies in your minds. No choice. Because love is unconditional, folks. See that? What is the difference between a believer and an unbeliever then? Okay. Now, this is the hard part because a lot of people get really offended when I say that everybody is my brother and sister. So when Remy, my wife, was in Kuwait, those Muslims are our brothers and sisters. What? <laughs> or when I'm in the Philippines too, everyone that's not a Christian, they're still my brothers and sisters, and they're still God's children in my eyes, in my understanding. And I don't know if you've come across this, but here's my thoughts on this, folks. Because a lot of people think you have to believe in order to become God's child. And, I'm, and I want to kind of share and demonstrate on how silly that could sound to me. It just sounds silly to me now. Your child right now, there's children in this room. Can you look at your children now and look at them and say, you're not God's child until you believe? You're mine, but you're really just God's creation. And God is just your creator, but he's not your papa yet. So you have to believe. You know, that's a lot of traditional evangelical thinking, folks. But some of them will say, no, we don't believe that, Josh. We believe that all babies die and go to heaven. So there's an exception. You have to reach an age of accountability, so to speak. Now, let me work that out a little bit. If that's true, then that must mean that your children right now, those children right now in the back, that they are God's children now, then they reach a certain age of accountability, 13, 14, I don't know. Then because they reach that age, they undo their sonship. And now they have they reached a point where they have to acknowledge and confess and repent and believe. Now they become children of God again. Really? Or did they always belong to God? I like what Baxter Kruger was saying. He says, Do you think that your faith, do you think that your faith can change the nature of God? Because if God is basically only your creator and you're his creation before you're a Christian, then all of a sudden you have faith, he becomes your father as if you change his nature. Folks, he is eternally the father and your creator. And because he created you, you're his child. <laughs> you don't create your child and say, you're not my child until you believe. Folks, when you read John 1, when it talks about that you need to believe and receive in order to become, have the right to become children of God, and I'm sure some of us are familiar with that already. If you look at the Greek, the intonation of the Greek, it's about grasping and identifying, manifesting that which already exists. You see that, folks? Folks, God is inside everybody. I'm going to share a very important passage that I think a lot of people, this one really messes people up if they're not into this whole message. Open up to Galatians chapter 1, and you're going to look at verse 13, and it says this, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, this is Paul, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of the Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Now check this out. You guys know Paul was a persecutor of Christians, right? Now check this out. Then he says, but when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. What does it say? Called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. 
<laughs> While he was a persecutor of the church? Yes. Because, folks, for us to change, it's not about having to believe and then you become something. If we want a transformation of our life, it's because we're finally knowing who we are. It's revealing the Christ in you, folks. That that's the good news. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's there. That once you start to identify with the one who loves you unconditionally, you will live that out. Your life will change. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Folks, ultimately, there are no such thing as unbelievers. Ultimately. Because everybody believes something. But the problem with a lot of mentalities with Christians that I've seen, they like saying that we're the in-group and the rest of the world is out. God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. Folks, that's why there's so much evil in the world. When we separate from people because you don't think like me, we're not the same religion, we're saved, you're not. Right? Folks, this whole idea of separation between us and God and us and man, that's why there's so much evil in the world. Because we just think of people who are different than us, who don't think like us, and we say, yeah, but they're going to go to hell. Even if they're good people, they're going to go to hell. But us Christians, yeah, we screw up pretty bad, but we're going to heaven because Jesus was our ticket. <laughs> See, folks, Jesus is not fire insurance. And Jesus is not trying to prove which religion is true. He's not here to prove which religion is true. He came to reveal the heart of the Father. He didn't say, hey, guys, when I die and resurrect from the dead and ascend to the right hand of the Father, I want you to name a religion after me called Christianity. He didn't say that. He came here to reveal the heart of the Father. And folks, if it's all about Christianity, then why are we so divided? When we have 30,000 plus denominations and sects, groups, that some of them believe that they're the only saved group too. Boggles my mind. And we read from the same book. Folks, God's not far from anybody. Anybody. Than Eastern religions? Because we're so quick to condemn them. And they probably know God better than some of us, folks. Now, I'm not condoning every single belief that they have, folks, but do you think God is far from them? The Bible says in Acts 17, in Him we live, we move, we have our being. Who did Paul say that to? Christians? Pagans, folks. And he said, aren't we all His offspring? We came from Him? Right? He said that to pagans, folks, and they were worshiping an unknown God. Do you think Paul went up to these people worshiping an unknown God say, hey, you're worshiping this unknown God. If you guys don't believe it, you're all going to go to hell right now. You know what he said? Let me proclaim him to you now. And folks, there are many people who may not know the religion the way we understand it, but they know God. And what we're doing is that we're telling them his name. And his name is Christ, Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name, folks. <laughs> it's a title. One of my favorite stories is of Tony Campolo, where he basically he has a friend who's a Buddhist, he has a Baptist missionary friend who went to China and he met a, a Buddhist monk. So he goes up to this Buddhist monk and he opens up the Bible to this monk because, you know, you want to try to convert them. <laughs> So he had this Bible in front of him, and he starts sharing about the ways of Jesus Christ. And as he's sharing, the monk just starts crying and weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping. And then the Baptist missionary says, so do you want to accept Christ now? 
You know what the Buddhist monk said? Accept Christ. I already know him, but you just told me his name, and you told me about the cross, and you told me about the resurrection, and as you were speaking, I could hear his spirit within me saying, he's speaking about me, he's speaking about me, he's speaking about me. Folks, God, you can praise God to that, right? God is alive and well and in many places and in many people that we can't even imagine. If God is only inside Christians, then your God is too small. God is inside everybody. In Him, everything consists. And in Him, all things hold together. Not everybody may know Him, because those who know Him will love. And there are many people that I've seen in my own life that may not have the same exact worldview as an evangelical Christian, but they know how to love. And I'm telling you, wherever there is love, there is God. Wherever there is love, there is God. I recently saw a video of a Muslim lady. I don't know if you heard this story, where she was literally having a conversation with somebody. Then in the middle of her conversation, physically, all of a sudden, this figure appeared in front of her. And this figure, and she was like, who are you? And then this person said, I'm the Christ. This is a Muslim lady. Okay. Then she said, like Jesus Christ, <laughs> like Jesus Christ of the Christians, you know what he said? I'm the Christ. He didn't say, yes, Jesus of the Christians. And while they were having this conversation, I think the other person on the other end, you know, had no idea what's going on. But the Christ, Jesus, was sharing things to this person that that other person needed to hear and spoke truth. And when I heard that story, folks, I, I talked about this story with so many people, and I would hear so many things from Christians saying, well, that's demonic. That's not God. She's a Muslim. <laughs> folks, does God only reveal himself to Christians? How small is God? <laughs> he reveals himself to everybody. Thank God for that. Please answer me this, folks. Why is it that you can see many unbelievers can become better husbands than some Christians? Why are some unbelievers better parents than some Christians? Why are some unbelievers even more prosperous than some Christians? Why are some unbelievers less judgmental and more loving than some Christians? I'm not saying Christians aren't loving, but you get my point. Because the light shines everywhere, the Bible says. In John chapter 1, it says that light came and light shines even in the darkness. So if you look at shadows going on, ultimately, if the light shines even in the darkness, there's no darkness. But you know when there's darkness is when you choose to what? Close your eyes. And to live according to your own vision, according to your own ways, and living according to the lies of religion. But when your eyes are open to the truth, you see God everywhere and your life will change. When you can look at the Buddhists and you say, I see God in you. You can look at the Muslim and say, I see God in you. You could even look at the Baptist and say, I see God in you. No, <laughs> I'm just joking. I went to a Baptist church so I could pick on them. <laughs> okay, you can edit that part out. That was too much. That was too much. I'm sorry. <laughs> Folks, when you look at Acts chapter 26, Jesus commissioned Paul to go to the Gentiles to preach the good news. Do you think Jesus told Paul to say, hey, Paul, 
I want you to go to all these Gentile sinners and I want you to convert everybody, make them say the sinner's prayer and become born again. You know what Jesus said? I'm commissioning you to go to the Gentiles. So what? Open their eyes and turn them from darkness, blindness, to light. Wow. Because they're already in Him. Believe it or not. And folks, if we're using these terms that are creating separation and division, like we're saved and that all my friends lost, folks, that doesn't mean that they're outside of God. Folks, if someone is lost, what does that imply? They have a home. That they belong somewhere. So when I look at a non-Christian, it doesn't have to be Christian because so many Christians are lost. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If you feel lost, it's because you have a home and you're forgetting who you are in Him. Folks, Christ embraced the whole world. And I think we should too. And we preach the good news, not to convert anybody, but to point out and tell them who they are in God's Son. How precious and beautiful they are. If you want to screw people up, you know, you know what you could preach? Preach the law. Point out all the crap in them. You, know, you read your Bible today, you could have read more. You prayed today, you could have prayed more. <laughs> so why do we preach the gospel? Everyone's already redeemed and reconciled. You preach them because look at the way I'm preaching to Christians because they don't know the good news. And even myself, there are times when I'm preaching the good news and I didn't hear it myself because sometimes I forget who I am. Sometimes I could feel lack. Sometimes I could feel a lack of love, but it's not true. So we're constantly being reminded because we need to hear it. Yeah. And this whole world needs to hear it. But folks, everyone in this world, just like everyone in this room, we're all brothers and sisters connected together. We are all now one. That's why when you look at your brother who's hurting, who's not a Christian, you can hurt. And then with someone else who's not a Christian, and you, they're, they're celebrating in life, you can celebrate, you can feel it because we're all connected, folks. We're all connected. We just put away all these dividers just because they don't hold the same theology. Who cares? Embrace them. You don't have your theology altogether either. Neither do I. But I might change my theology in one week later on, you know? But one thing will never change. God's love. In all these years that I've been having to unlearn all these things, God's love has never changed. But we're changing. Amen to that. So, folks, I just want to tell you guys I love you. Thanks for giving a big hug earlier. <laughs> Please don't tell anybody I cried, okay? Anyways, guys, I'll keep this one short. So I think that's it for the first session, folks. And later on, uh, just to let you guys know, Andre and I will also be answering some questions too. So if you have any questions, I want you to pre you know, prepare and get some stuff ready. Cool? Now that was short, Rod. <laughs>